0: Book Six, Chapter Six of the History of the Conquest of Mexico. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of the Conquest of Mexico by William H. Prescott. Book Six, Chapter Six General Assault on the City, Defeat of the Spaniards, Their Disastrous Condition, Sacrifice of the Captives defection of the allies, constancy of the troops. Famine was now working its way into the heart of the beleaguered city. It seemed certain that, with this strict blockade, the crowded population must in the end be driven to capitulate, though no arms should be raised against them. But it required time, and the Spaniards, though constant and enduring by nature, began to be impatient of hardships scarcely inferior to those experienced by the besieged. In some respects, their condition was even worse, exposed as they were to the cold, drenching rains, which fen with little intermission, rendering their situation dreary and disastrous in the extreme. In this state of things, there were many who would willingly have shortened their sufferings and taken the chance of carrying the place by a coup de main. Others thought it would be best to get possession of the great market of Tlatelolco, which, from its situation in the southwestern part of the city, might afford the means of communication with the camps of both alvarado and sandoval this place encompassed by spacious porticos would furnish the accommodations for a numerous host and once established at the capital the spaniards would be in a position to follow up the blow with far more effect than at a distance these arguments were pressed by several of the officers particularly by alderete the royal treasurer a person of much consideration not only from his rank but from the capacity and zeal he had shown in the service in deference to their wishes Cortes summoned a council of war and laid the matter before it the treasurer's views were espoused by most of the high-mettled cavaliers who looked with eagerness to any change of their present forlorn and wearisome life and Cortes, thinking it probably more prudent to adopt the less expedient course than to enforce a cold and reluctant obedience to his own opinion, suffered himself to be overruled. The day was fixed for the assault, which was to be made simultaneously by the two divisions under Alvarado and the commander-in-chief. Sandoval was instructed to draw off the greater part of his forces from the northern causeway, and to unite himself with Alvarado, while seventy picked soldiers were to be detached to the support of Cortes. On the appointed morning, the two armies, after the usual celebration of mass, advanced along their respective causeways against the city. They were supported, in addition to the brigantines, by a numerous fleet of Indian boats, which were to force a passage up the canals, and by a countless multitude of allies, whose very numbers served in the end to embarrass their operations. After clearing the suburbs, three avenues presented themselves, which all terminated in the square of Tlatelolco. The principal one, being of much greater width than the other two, might rather be called a causeway than a street, because it was flanked by deep canals on either side. Cortes divided his force into three bodies. One of them he placed under Alderete, with orders to occupy the principal street. A second he gave in charge to Andres de Tapia and Jorge de Alvarado, the former a cavalier of courage and capacity, the latter, a younger brother of Don Pedro, and possessed of the intrepid spirit which belonged to that chivalrous family. These were to penetrate by one of the parallel streets, while the general himself, at the head of the third division, was to occupy the other. A small body of cavalry, with two or three field pieces, was stationed as a reserve in front of the great street of Tecuba, which was designated as the rallying point for the different divisions. Cortes gave the most positive instructions to his captains, not to advance a step without securing the means of retreat, by carefully filling up the ditches and the openings in the causeway. The neglect of this precaution by Alvarado, in an assault which he had made in the city but a few days before, had been attended with such serious consequences to his army, that Cortes rode over himself to his officers' quarters, for the purpose of publicly reprimanding him for his disobedience of orders. On his arrival at the camp, however, He found that his offending captain had conducted the affair with so much gallantry that the intended reprimand, though well deserved, subsided into a mild rebuke. The arrangements being completed, the three divisions marched at once up the several streets. Cortes, dismounting, took the van of his own squadron at the head of his infantry. The Mexicans fell back as he advanced, making less resistance than usual. The Spaniards pushed on, carrying one barricade after another, and carefully filling up the gaps with rubbish so as to secure themselves a footing the canoes supported the attack by moving along the canals and grappling with those of the enemy while numbers of the nimble-footed tlascalans scaling the terraces passed on from one house to another where they were connected hurtling the defenders into the streets below the enemy taken apparently by surprise seemed incapable of withstanding for a moment the fury of the assault and the victorious Christians, cheered on by the shouts of triumph which arose from their companions in the adjoining streets, were only the more eager to be the first at the destined goal. Indeed, the facility of his success led the general to suspect that he might be advancing too fast, that it might be a device of the enemy to draw them into the heart of the city, and then surround or attack them in the rear. He had some misgivings, moreover, lest his two ardent officers, in the heat of the chase, should, notwithstanding his commands, have overlooked the necessary precaution of filling up the breaches. He accordingly brought his squadron to a halt, prepared to battle any insidious movement of his adversary. Meanwhile he received more than one message from Alderete informing him that he had nearly gained the market. This only increased the general's apprehension that, in the rapidity of his advance, he might have neglected to secure the ground. He determined to trust no eyes but his own, and, taking a small body of troops, proceeded to reconnoiter the route followed by the treasurer. He had not proceeded far along the great street or causeway, when his progress was arrested by an opening ten or twelve paces wide and filled with water at least two fathoms deep, by which a communication was formed between the canals on the opposite sides. A feeble attempt had been made to stop the gap with the rubbish of the causeway, but in too careless a manner to be of the least service, and a few straggling stones and pieces of timber only showed that the work had been abandoned almost as soon as begun. To add to his consternation, the general observed that the sides of this causeway in this neighborhood had been pared off, and, as was evident, very recently. He saw in all this the artifice of the cunning enemy, and had little doubt that his hot-headed officer had rushed into a snare deliberately laid for him. Deeply alarmed, he set about repairing the mischief as fast as possible by ordering his men to fill up the yawning chasm. But they had scarcely begun their labors when the hoarse echoes of conflict in the distance were succeeded by a hideous sound of mingled yells and war-whoops that seemed to rend the very heavens. This was followed by a rushing noise, as of the tread of thronging multitudes, showing that the tide of battle was turned back from its former course, and was rolling on towards the spot where Cortes and his little band of cavaliers were planted. His conjecture proved too true. Alderete had followed the retreating Aztecs with an eagerness which increased with every step of his advance. He had carried the barricades, which had defended the breach, without much difficulty, and, as he swept on, gave orders that the opening should be stopped. But the blood of the high-spirited cavaliers was warmed by the chase, and no one cared to be detained by the ignoble occupation of filling up the ditches while he could gather laurels so easily in the fight and they all pressed on exhorting and cheering one another with the assurance of being the first to reach the square of tlatelolco in this way they suffered themselves to be decoyed into the heart of the city when suddenly the horn of guatemozin sent forth a long and piercing note from the summit of a neighboring teocalli in an instant the flying aztecs as if maddened by the blast, wheeled about and turned on their pursuers. At the same time, countless swarms of warriors from the adjoining streets and lanes poured in upon the flanks of the assailants, filling the air with the fierce, unearthly cries which had reached the ears of Cortes, and drowning, for a moment, the wild dissonance which reigned in the other quarters of the capital. The army, taken by surprise, and shaken by the fury of the assault, were thrown into the utmost disorder friends and foes white men and indians were mingled together in one promiscuous mass spears swords and war-clubs were brandished together in the air blows fell at random in their eagerness to escape they trod down one another blinded by the missiles which now rained on them from the azoteas they staggered on barely knowing in what direction or fell struck down by hands which they could not see on they came like a rushing torrent sweeping along some steep declivity and rolling in one confused tide towards the open breach, on the further side of which stood Cortes and his companions, horror-struck at the sight of the approaching ruin. The foremost files soon plunged into the gulf, treading one another under the flood, some striving ineffectually to swim, others with more success, to clamber over the heaps of their suffocated comrades. Many, as they attempted to scale the opposite sides of the slippery dike, fell into the water or were hurried off by the warriors in the canoes, who added to the horrors of the rout by the fresh storm of darts and javelins which they poured on the fugitives. Cortes, meanwhile, with his brave followers, kept his station undaunted on the other side of the breach. I had made up my mind, he says, to die rather than desert my poor fellows in their extremity. With outstretched hands he endeavored to rescue as many as he could from the watery grave, and from the more appalling fate of captivity. He, as vainly, tried to restore something like presence of mind and order among the distracted fugitives. His person was too well known to the Aztecs, and his position now made him a conspicuous mark for their weapons. Darts, stones, and arrows fell around him as thick as hail, but glanced harmless from his steel helmet and armor of proof. At length a cry of, Malinche! Malinche! rose among the enemy, and six of their number, strong and athletic warriors, rushing on him at once, made a violent effort to drag him on board their boat. In the struggle he received a severe wound in the leg, which, for the time, disabled it. There seemed to be no hope for him, when a faithful follower, Cristobal de Olea, perceiving his general's extremity, threw himself on the Aztecs, and with a blow cut off the arm of one savage, and then plunged his sword in the body of another. He was quickly supported by a comrade named lerma and by a tlascalan chief who fighting over the prostrate body of cortes dispatched three more of the assailants though the heroic olea paid dearly for his self-devotion as he fell mortally wounded by the side of his general the report soon spread among the soldiers that their commander was taken and quinones the captain of his guard with several others pouring in to the rescue succeeded in disentangling Cortes from the grasp of his enemies, who were struggling with him in the water, and, raising him in their arms, placed him again on the causeway. One of his pages, meanwhile, had advanced some way through the press, leading a horse for his master to mount. But the youth received a wound in the throat from a javelin, which prevented him from effecting his object. Another of his attendants was more successful. It was Guzman, his chamberlain, but as he held the bridle while Cortes was assisted into the saddle, he was snatched away by the Aztecs, and with the swiftness of thought hurried off by their canoes. The general still lingered, unwilling to leave the spot, whilst his presence could be of the least service. But the faithful Quinones, taking his horse by the bridle, turned his head from the breach, exclaiming at the same time that his master's life was too important to the army to be thrown away there. Cortes at length succeeded in regaining the firm ground, and reaching the open place before the great street of Tacuba. Here, under a sharp fire of the artillery, he rallied his broken squadrons, and charging at the head of the little body of horse, which, not having been brought into action, were still fresh, he beat off the enemy. He then commanded the retreat of the two other divisions. The scattered forces again united, and the general, sending forward his Indian confederates, took the rear with a chosen body of cavalry, to cover the retreat of the army, which was effected with but little additional loss. Andres de Tapia was dispatched to the western causeway to acquaint Alvarado and Sandoval with the failure of the enterprise. Meanwhile, the two captains had penetrated far into the city. Cheered by the triumphant shouts of their countrymen in the adjacent streets, they had pushed on with extraordinary vigor that they might not be outstripped in the race of glory. They had almost reached the market-place which lay nearer to their quarters than to the generals when they heard the blast from the dread horn of guatemozin followed by the overpowering yell of the barbarians which had so startled the ears of Cortes. till at length the sounds of the receding conflict died away in the distance the two captains now understood that the day must have gone hard with their countrymen they soon had further proof of it when the victorious aztecs returning from the pursuit of Cortes joined their forces with those engaged with sandoval and alvarado and fell on them with redoubled fury at the same time they rolled on the ground two or three of the bloody heads of the spaniards shouting the name of malinche the captains struck with horror at the spectacle though they gave little credit to the words of the enemy instantly ordered a retreat the fierce barbarians followed up the spaniards to their very entrenchments but here they were met first by the crossfire of the brigantines which, dashing through the palisades planted to obstruct their movements, completely enfiladed the causeway, and next by that of the small battery erected in front of the camp, which, under the management of a skillful engineer named Medrano, swept the whole length of the defile. Thus galled in front and on flank, the shattered columns of the Aztecs were compelled to give way and take shelter under the defenses of the city. The greatest anxiety now prevailed in the camp, regarding the fate of cortes for tapia had been detained on the road by scattered parties of the enemy whom guatemozin had stationed there to interrupt the communications between the camps he arrived at length however though bleeding with several wounds his intelligence while it reassured the spaniards as to the general's personal safety was not calculated to allay their uneasiness in other respects sandoval in particular was desirous to acquaint himself with the actual state of things and the further intentions of cortes suffering as he was from three wounds which he had received in that day's fight he resolved to visit in person the quarters of the commander-in-chief it was midday for the busy scenes of the morning had occupied but a few hours when sandoval remounted the good steed on whose strength and speed he knew he could rely On arriving at the camp, he found the troops were much worn and dispirited by the disaster of the morning. They had good reason to be so. Besides the killed and a long file of wounded, sixty-two Spaniards, with a multitude of allies, had fallen alive into the hands of the enemy. The loss of two field-pieces and seven horses crowned their own disgrace and the triumphs of the Aztecs. Cortes, it was observed, had borne himself throughout this trying day with his usual intrepidity and coolness. It was with a cheerful countenance that he now received his lieutenant, but a shade of sadness was visible through this outward composure, showing how the catastrophe of the Puente Cuidada, the Sourful Bridge, as he mournfully called it, lay heavy on his heart. To the cavalier's anxious inquiries as to the cause of the disaster, he replied, It is for my sins that it has befallen me, son Sandoval for such was the affectionate epithet with which Cortes often addressed his best-beloved and trusty officer. He then explained to him the immediate cause in the negligence of the treasurer. Further conversation followed, in which the general declared his purpose to forego active hostilities for a few days. You must take my place, he continued, for I am too much crippled at present to discharge my duties. You must watch over the safety of the camps. Give especial heed to Alvarado's, he is a gallant soldier, I know it well, but I doubt the Mexican hounds may, some hour, take him at disadvantage. These few words showed the general's own estimate of his two lieutenants, both equally brave and chivalrous, but the one uniting with these qualities the circumspection so essential to success in perilous enterprises, in which the other was signally deficient. It was under the training of Cortes that he learned to be a soldier, the general, having concluded his instructions, affectionately embraced his lieutenant and dismissed him to his quarters. It was late in the afternoon when he reached them, but the sun was still lingering above the western hills and poured his beams wide over the valley, lighting up the old towers and temples of Tenochtitlan with a mellow radiance that little harmonized with the dark scenes of strife in which the city had so lately been involved. The tranquillity of the hour, however, was on a sudden broken by the strange sounds of the great drum in the temple of the war-god, sounds which recalled the Noche Triste, with all its terrible images, to the minds of the Spaniards, for that was the only occasion on which they had ever heard them. They intimated some solemn act of religion within the unhallowed precincts of the Teocalli, and the soldiers, startled by the mournful vibrations, which might be heard for leagues across the valley, turned their eyes to the quarter whence they proceeded. They there beheld a long procession winding up the huge sides of the pyramid, for the camp of Aldorado was pitched scarcely a mile from the city, and objects were distinctly visible at a great distance in the transparent atmosphere of the tableland. As the long file of priests and warriors reached the flat summit of the Teocalli, the Spaniards saw the figures of several men stripped to their waists, some of whom, by the whiteness of their skins, they recognized as their own countrymen they were the victims for sacrifice. Their heads were gaudily decorated with coronals of plumes, and they carried fans in their hands. They were urged along by blows, and compelled to take part in the dances in honor of the Aztec warrior god. The unfortunate captives, then stripped of their sad finery, were stretched one after another on the great stone of sacrifice. On its convex surface, their breasts were heaved up conveniently for the diabolical purpose of the priestly executioner, who cut asunder the ribs by a strong blow with his sharp razor of eatzli and thrusting his hand into the wound tore away the heart which hot and reeking was deposited on the golden censer before the idol the body of the slaughtered victim was then hurled down the steep stairs of the pyramid which it may be remembered were placed at the same angle of the pile one flight below another and the mutilated remains were gathered up by the savages beneath who soon prepared with them the cannibal repast which completed the work of abomination we may imagine with what sensations the stupefied spaniards must have gazed on this horrid spectacle so near that they could almost recognize the persons of their unfortunate friends see the struggles and writhing of their bodies hear or fancy they heard their screams of agony yet so far removed that they could render them no assistance Their limbs trembled beneath them, as they thought what might one day be their own fate, and the bravest among them, who had hitherto gone to battle, as careless and light-hearted as to the banquet or the ball-room, were unable, from this time forward, to encounter their ferocious enemy without a sickening feeling, much akin to fear, coming over them. The five following days passed away in a state of inaction, except, indeed, so far as was necessary to repel the sorties, made from time to time, by the militia of the capital the mexicans elated with their success meanwhile abandoned themselves to jubilee singing dancing and feasting on the mangled relics of their wretched victims guatemozin sent several heads of the spaniards as well as of the horses round the country calling on his old vassals to forsake the banners of the white men unless they would share the doom of the enemies of mexico the priests now cheered the young monarch and the people with the declaration that the dread Pochtli, their offended deity, appeased by the sacrifices offered up on his altars, would again take the Aztecs under his protection, and deliver their enemies, before the expiration of eight days, into their hands. This comfortable prediction, confidently believed by the Mexicans, was thundered in the ears of the besieging army in tones of exaltation and defiance. However it may have been condemned by the Spaniards, it had a very different effect on their allies, The latter had begun to be disgusted with a service so full of peril and suffering, and already protracted far beyond the usual term of Indian hostilities. They had less confidence than before in the Spaniards. Experience had shown that they were neither invincible nor immortal, and their recent reverses made them even distrust the ability of the Christians to reduce the Aztec metropolis. They recalled to mind the ominous words of Cicotincato that, so sacrilegious a war could come to no good for the people of anahuac they felt that their arm was raised against the gods of their country the prediction of the oracle fell heavy on their hearts they had little doubt of its fulfillment and were only eager to turn away the bolt from their own heads by a timely secession from the cause they took advantage therefore of the friendly cover of night to steal away from their quarters company after company deserted in this manner taking the direction of their respective homes. Those belonging to the great towns of the valley, whose allegiance was the most recent, were the first to cast it off. Their example was followed by the older confederates, the militia of Cholula, Tepeaca, Tascuco, and even the faithful Tlascala. There were, it is true, some exceptions to these, and among them Itzlilsochito, the younger lord of Tezcuco, and Chichimecatl, the valiant Tlascalan chieftain, who with a few of their immediate followers still remained true to the banner under which they had enlisted but their number was insignificant the spaniards beheld with dismay the mighty array on which they relied for support thus silently melting away before the breath of superstition Cortes alone maintained a cheerful countenance he treated the prediction with contempt as an invention of the priests and sent his messengers after the retreating squadrons beseeching them to postpone their departure or at least halt on the road till the time which would soon elapse would show the falsehood of the prophecy the affairs of the spaniards at this crisis must be confessed to have worn a gloomy aspect deserted by their allies with their ammunition nearly exhausted cut off from the customary supplies from the neighbourhood harassed by unintermitting vigils and fatigues smarting under wounds of which every man in the army had his share with an unfriendly country in their rear and a mortal foe in front, they might well be excused for faltering in their enterprise. Night after night fresh victims were led up to the great altar of sacrifice, and while the city blazed with the illuminations of a thousand bonfires on the terraced roofs of the dwellings, and in the areas of the temples, the dismal pageant was distinctly visible from the camp below. One of the last of the sufferers was Guzman, the unfortunate chamberlain of Cortes, who lingered in captivity eighteen days before he met his doom. Amidst all the distresses and multiplied embarrassments of their situation, the Spaniards still remained true to their purpose. They relaxed in no degree the severity of the blockade, their camps still occupied the only avenues to the city, and their batteries, sweeping the long defiles at every fresh assault of the Aztecs, mowed down hundreds of the assailants their brigantines still rode on the waters, cutting off the communication with the shore. It is true, indeed, the loss of the auxiliary canoes left a passage open for the occasional introduction of supplies to the capital, but the whole amount of these supplies was small, and its crowded population, while exulting in their temporary advantage, and the delusive assurances of their priests, were beginning to sink under the withering grasp of an enemy within, more terrible than the one which lay before their gates." End of Book 6, Chapter 6